tonight's reading can be found from 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 9 and can be found on page 1196 of the church bibles in front of you. So 3 uh, 2 3 Timothy um no 2 Timothy sorry um chapter 3 starting at verse 1. But mark this There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and John Bray oppose Moses. So also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Thanks, Emily. Uh, Do keep Bibles open. Uh, We're going to be looking at that passage, working out... Uh, what it means for us as a church, um, individually. Um, first off, I wondered, how good are you at spotting counterfeits? We're going to see some counterfeits that are going to come up on the screen. There's two items, and uh, one of them is the genuine article, and one of them is the counterfeit. And there's an A and a B, and you have to try and work out. Just bear it, remember it in your mind which one you think it is. So the first one here. We've got two rather expensive-looking handbags, A and B. Which one is the genuine article, or which one is the counterfeit? I'll give you five seconds. Okay. Next one. We've got two Rolex watches. Which one is the genuine, and which one is the counterfeit? It's really hard, isn't it? <laughs> and lastly, we've got two iPhones. Which one is the real one? And which one is the counterfeit? Okay. Well, if you thought that A on all three of them were the counterfeit items, you'd be wrong. They were all B. The B, that bag, the watch, and the iPhone, they're all counterfeits. Despite the fact that they look pretty much identical, maybe slightly different photos and lighting, but they're all counterfeits. And sometimes it's hard to see, isn't it, what is genuine and what is fake. I wonder if you've ever been caught out for for buying a counterfeit without realising it. Um, and, And counterfeits is what Paul is kind of talking about in this passage in 2 Timothy. We're going through this letter that that the the Apostle Paul wrote to his friend Timothy um, shortly before Paul died, um, encouraging Timothy, this, this leader in the early church, to be passing on the gospel. But Paul says it's, it's hard because, Timothy, there will be people in your churches, there will be leaders in other churches who look like Christians to some degree on the outside. 
But actually, there's something massively wrong with them. Sometimes it's hard to see what a counterfeit looks like. Paul gives us this impression of of a counterfeit Christian in verse 5. He says that they have a form of godliness, but denying its power. Sometimes it's hard to see when someone is the genuine article or not. But Paul gives us some clues to work out what counterfeit Christians look like. These people deny God's power. That's what it says there in verse 5. They have a form of godliness, but they deny God's power. That is God's power to save us from our sins. God's power to, to free us from addictions and behaviours. God's power to actually rule over us, to be our Lord and our King. But why is it important? Why is it important to work out whether some Christians are the real deal or not? We're, we're a key verse in working this out, if we flip back over the page to chapter 1, verse 8, key verse in this little letter that we've been looking at, Paul says to Timothy in verse 8, chapter 1, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. It would be very easy for Timothy to look at some of these other Christians, some of these other leaders or these traveling evangelists who don't seem to be suffering and said, hang on a minute, why am I suffering for the gospel and they're not? What is different about what's happening in my life and what's happening in theirs? So Paul writes this letter to his friend Timothy saying that, that he and, and pastors today, vicars, ministers today, need to know this, need to be warned about these counterfeit Christians. Partly so that they don't give in to the trap of comparing themselves with them, of comparing themselves with people who don't actually love God. So we're thinking about what it, this, this topic this evening and the enemy within, the enemy within the church, of, of people who look like Christians, who may have real influence, but actually their life doesn't match the message. It starts off in uh, verse 3, chapter, uh, sorry, verse 1, chapter 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Paul is saying that there are going to be hard times for being a Christian, particularly a Christian leader. There are going to be particular pressures on pastoring God's people in the last days. Now, the last days, Paul is talking about a expanded period of time between when Jesus ascended and went back up into heaven and the time when he comes again. That is the, the period we're in now. It's the period we've been in for the last nearly 2,000 years. But it may well get worse the nearer we get to Jesus' return. And what might particularly catch Timothy off guard is that opposition will even arise from within the church. Seemingly Christian people will do great damage. We only have to look to some of the, the news headlines that get reported about to see that that is scarily true in our day. People abusing their influence for sexual or monetary or power gain. 
And Paul wants Timothy, his friend, to make sure that he understands the risks that these people pose. It's not just the fact that they're living an inconsistent life, but they do actually demonstrate a real risk to the lives and faith of Christians. And we'll see that a little bit later on. But it also affects our evangelism. One of the reasons that people are often put off thinking about Jesus is that they feel that the church is just a place full of hypocrites. People whose lives don't match their message. Because actually how Christians behave has an impact on how the world views God. It affects our evangelism, it affects our ministry, but it also affects our day-to-day life. Imagine a situation, uh, maybe it's a group of students you know, or maybe it's colleagues at work. And you're, you're one of the Christians there, but actually there is one other person in this group, a friend, who also claims to be a Christian. They go to, they go to church, they go to see you, maybe they're involved in, in playing music in their church or something like that. But at the same time, when they're, they're kind of not a church, they have no problem getting really drunk every weekend with these friends uh, and freely gossiping and, and sleeping around and, and grumbling about anything. And actually your friends pick up on this. And they notice that there's a difference in behavior between this friend who calls himself a Christian and you, who actually, you feel actually, that's not right for me to be doing those things. I want to honor Jesus with my life. And they pick up on this and maybe they tease you because of this. Why can't you be more like them? Why do you have to be so judgmental with the way that you behave? If you experience something like that, there's probably one or two ways you're going to go. You're either going to, you are going to become judgmental. You're going to look down your nose at this other friend who calls himself a Christian. And you're just going to think, oh, you're not the real deal. Forget about you. You're going to look down your nose and judge them. Or you might despair. And you might feel, what's the point in all this stuff, in, in living like a Christian, this suffering, this teasing? Is it really worth it? And Timothy could have fallen into that same trap too. Which is why Paul warns him about the danger of, of some of these people. And in Timothy's day, you kind of had these traveling evangelists. We don't really get them in the same way today. But people going around telling the good news of Jesus. But some of them were the real deal, like Paul. But some of them were a bit dodgy. As I said, their, their life didn't match their message. They may look, look all right at first, but on close inspection, there's something amiss. So let's, let's, let's think. Why do these people live this way? What is it? Paul, Paul wants to warn Timothy, but he also wants Timothy to understand why they're doing what they are doing. Why do they do it? When these verses here, Paul is going to give us a really ugly picture of what happens to the person who, though they claim to be a Christian, rejects God's power to liberate them. Um, elsewhere in the Bible, in 1 John chapter 4, uh, the Bible makes the claim that God is love. It's a famous little verse, isn't it? God is love. That is that God is the source of all love. He is the one who uniquely defines it. God is the one who pours his love into our hearts. And he has demonstrated it and made it possible through giving up his son to die for us on the cross. And as a result, because God is love, as human beings, we are also created to love. We're not the source of it, but we are created to love. Firstly, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. 
but also to love others as ourselves. But as we go through these verses, we get an impression of what love looks like if it is removed from the source of all that love. Actually, what it starts to do is it starts to go in on itself. Like a, like a black hole just sucking everything into it. So what I want to do is I want to go through these verses, uh, 2, 3, and 4, um, but just give a bit of space between some of the things that Paul is talking about. Now, as I said, firstly, this is a warning to Timothy of, of what these people do, how they behave. But the principles are there for us. So I'd love for you this evening to be able to look through this and for us all to be doing some business with God. There are particular things that the Holy Spirit is highlighting to us that we would be humble enough to recognize those and in God's strength, turn away from them. Paul writes, people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I wonder in reading that whether any particular ones were highlighted to you that you feel aware of in, in your life to some degree. And I want you to notice with me how many times actually love comes up. In describing someone who's cut themselves off from the source of love, how often love comes up? Six times I think we get love or, or lovers of. You see, Paul is describing people in these days who are trying to love themselves, even though in verse 3 it says that they are without love. They have cut themselves off from the source of all love. How have they done that? Verse 5, by denying God's power, rejecting his power. This description here is not the kind of life that commends Jesus to a non-believer. Or to a believer. But the danger is any of us, even our pastors and ministers, can fall into these traps. Perhaps subtly at first. I doubt many people wake up and all of a sudden they go from one extreme to the other and waking up and displaying all of these things. Perhaps it's subtle and that's dangerous and scary because we are so easily self-deceived, aren't we? For example, we might even be able to justify some of these behaviours to ourselves sometimes. For example, it talks about boasting here. Well, maybe we see that in ourselves, but maybe it's not boasting. Maybe it's encouragement. Maybe I can encourage someone of you here by telling you something that I've done that I'm proud of. It's not boasting, it's encouragement. What about ungratefulness? Maybe it's not, it's not ungratefulness. There's, I just have a desire for what is right and for justice. It's not ungratefulness. And these things, subtle at first, can get bigger and bigger. 
And that can definitely happen if we, if we are ignoring coming to church and, and ignoring reading our Bible and praying to God and spending time with other Christians. That subtlety can just get more and more pronounced. Well, what is Paul's advice to Timothy? Is he thinking about what to do with these people? It's shocking. Verse 5, the second bit there. Have nothing to do with such people. It's not necessarily what we were expecting to read. Particularly as we were thinking about last week in chapter uh, 2 and um, just up on that, that second bit in verse uh, 20, uh, 25. It says, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance. Hang on a minute. These, these sound like two different things. But Paul is talking about two different types of people. In that case, he's talking about people on the outside, people who oppose the gospel publicly. People know they're not Christians. They're atheists. They're agnostics. They're, they're debating against the Christians. Paul says to those people, be gentle with them. Encourage them to see the truth of the gospel. But Paul isn't talking about those people in chapter 3. He's got a different set of people in mind. Paul is talking about people who might gain influence over Timothy. Corrupt his teaching. So when we're working out what this means for us today, particularly for pastors today, this is really hard. Particularly if you're someone who actually wants to get on with other people and you want to be liked. This is why we need to support and pray for Phil and for our leadership here and at Goldstone, at Holy Cross, in who they choose to associate with publicly in who we get involved with for ministry. Sometimes it might be making hard decisions. But that doesn't mean that we just write people off. But it may mean that we don't invite them to be part of our ministry or to preach. That's on one level. That's the kind of ministerial level. But I also want us to see it for our level as well, as we read through those verses. And and I wonder, there might be three types of people here this evening, and you might react in, in one of these types of ways as you read through that. Perhaps, firstly, you're not sure, really, actually at all, that you love God. You're not sure you believe in Jesus and, and what he's done or what it's said that is, he's done. But you're interested. You, you've been coming along for a few weeks, and you're interested, or maybe it's your first time. And you, you want to find out more. You want to know what the next step is. Well, I just say it's great that you are here. Finding out more. Today is a good day for you to take that next step. What is that next step going to be? It might be signing up to come to Alpha here in the end of September. It might be speaking to someone um, who you trust. Finding out what that next step might be. What are those questions that you need answered to move on? That might be the first kind of person. Second kind of person, you might be a Christian who's read this and you think that actually some, maybe one or a few of these things are actually getting quite a hold in your life. You might be almost experiencing drifting into one of these things. Well, if, if God has, has opened your eyes to that issue in your life, can I say, why don't you speak with someone? Come and speak with, with me and Dave or someone you trust after the service and get someone to pray with you. We're all just as much tempted in different ways. We can all be tempted to drift, even ministers. But there's also a third type of person who might be here, someone who does love God. Well, I know that's true. 
someone who does love God, but maybe you're finding it really hard at the moment. And maybe it's because there's, there's a sensitive conscience that you have. Maybe it's things that happened way in the past, things that you felt guilty and ashamed of or things that have been done to you. But actually, this has kind of brought it back for you again. Now, you know Jesus has dealt with all of those things, but you still can't let it go. Can I just encourage you then to keep on walking with Jesus, who has died for our sins? There's an easier route, like these people described here in verse 2 to 4, not to keep on going, but kind of encourage you, keep on going, even if it's hard. So that's this kind of this, this picture that Paul gives. And I'm going to spend less time on, on, on my next two uh, questions. Uh, we thought about why do they do this. Um, but it's, as I said earlier, it's not just a kind of a moral issue for these people. Actually, these people cause harm to others. So let's think about then. Paul tells us who do these people harm? Because it's not just an issue of personal morality. Look with me at the beginning of verse 6. He describes them as they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women. What Paul is describing is these people here take advantage of those people who are vulnerable. Because they are focused in on loving themselves more than loving God and loving others, they don't see people as people to be loved. They see people as people to be used to help themselves feel more loved. He describes them like worms or or like a snake. Um, I haven't had worms or or snakes come into my house, but I have had slugs. And the, the remarkable thing about slugs coming into your house is even if there is no hole in the room, even if it's a tiny little crack like the ones on, on the wood here, they will still like slime their way in, you know, move around, do their slimy business and then go out again. Even this huge slugs. That's the kind of picture that Paul is describing here. Coming in, taking what they need and then going out again, using others to get what they want. Of getting influence over people who are easily led. Now, it says here about gullible women, people, women or or even men who may have been susceptible, perhaps in Paul's day, because the way society was structured, it might have been more easy to, to take advantage of vulnerable women. But in our day, it could be the same for men or women. People who are maybe easily led. And Paul gives us more description as to why they may be more easily swayed and led and taken advantage of. And he says this in the second part of verse 6. People who are loaded down with sins. This is why they are vulnerable or, or gullible is the word we've got here. Because they are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. That is, they are guilt driven. They know what they've done. They're, they're kind of, they're, they're almost there, but they're not quite there. They know that they've sinned. They know that there's stuff that they've done in their life they're ashamed of and doesn't please God. But they don't quite know what to do with it. You see, knowledge of our sin should always not lead to depression, but drive us to our saviour. That is why these people are particularly vulnerable. And there is a level of, of searching that is going on in them as well. Perhaps they've, they've recently started coming along to church or, or started doing an alpha course or, or whatever it would be in our day. They're kind of searching, but they haven't yet quite grasped it. Verse 7 
that these people are always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Perhaps they've been to church a few times and stopped coming and then started coming again and stopped. They're kind of, they're entertaining some of these ideas but they never really come to this decision. They haven't really got grace yet. They haven't truly believed for themselves that Jesus died for them. And these people are at risk. This is why the people described in verse 2 to 4 are so dangerous. And this is why God cares about what happens to these vulnerable people. And why Paul's words are harsh. This warning to Timothy says, don't have anything to do with these people. Because my vulnerable people will be affected by them. And that is good that God cares about those who are vulnerable. And it's important that, that we care as well, which is why we as a church take things like safeguarding really seriously. We care about the people who are vulnerable, whether that's children or, or adults or, or people who are new to the faith. We care and we take that responsibility very seriously. And that's why Paul tells Timothy not to be involved with these people because they abuse the vulnerable. Lastly, then, we've seen who they harm. We've seen why they do it. Well, what is going to happen to them? Just so Timothy isn't left in thinking that uh, these people are just going to get away with it. Where is the justice for what they are doing? Well, Paul says by, that those who oppose the truth will be exposed. At the beginning of verse 8. He says, just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. Now, the two names there, they're probably the names of the magicians in uh, in Pharaoh's court in Exodus, which is why there's a picture of the snake up there. Um, so if you've seen the Prince of Egypt, those two magician guys who are, who are battling with, with Moses, and when Moses cast down his staff and that becomes a snake, they also cast down their staffs and those become a snake. And they kind of battle it out for a couple of plagues, uh, but then they're unable to do any of it. It becomes clear in the end, although they look the same to begin with, it becomes clear at the end that these guys are counterfeits. It becomes clear at the end of the ten plagues who the real God is, where the real power lies. And that's what Paul is saying. That just like their end was obvious as to who the real God was, it will be the case in these people described in verses 2 to 4 as well. Carries on. These teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. That is, these people, by cutting themselves off from the truth, rejecting the truth, they are in turn rejected. I think it's important to remember, as we read through uh, the four Gospels in the New Testament, we see often, time and time again, Jesus' harshest words are actually reserved, who for? The religious self-righteous. Those whose message doesn't match their lives. Their lives look good on the outside, but their lives didn't match the message. Yet often, Jesus' softest treatment and most gentleness is reserved to who? Well, like the people in, in verses 6 and 7, the vulnerable. Those weighed down with the knowledge of their sin and their guilt. Verse 9 says that there is a day coming when all of this will be clear to all. They will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. It's a bit like the shiny logo falling off those counterfeit images. 
all of a sudden you can see that one is the genuine article and one is fake. It will be the same in the case of these people as well. But the opposite is also true as well. That for all of those who have accepted God's power humbly, they will be shown for what they truly are as well. Shining, brilliant, loved children of God. There won't be any more snide remarks, any more suffering, but glory. This is why this is good news. This is why Paul cares about the people that Timothy could be influenced by and who he shouldn't be influenced by. Because the good news of Jesus is so beautiful, so precious. And that's why he's saying that pastors and and vicars, ministers, must be willing to protect it from those opposed to it, even seemingly from inside the church. And that's why we must support our church leaders. And great way we can be doing this. What, what a wonderful letter that's been teaching us as a church to be praying hard for our church leaders. That they would be wise with who they associate with. They would be willing to suffer for the gospel. So let's encourage them. Let's support them. And pray for them. And for us, let all of us recommit today to receiving God's powerful love. Amen.